Welcome back to the Play Action Pod. It is Brennan and my boy Brock, and we're here to bring you um, a pretty crazy episode. You know, there was a lot of news that came out this weekend about some coaches and some stuff like that. Some some coaches stepping down and um, some getting hired at um, some other places. And obviously, the games this weekend were pretty wild. I mean, we we were spoiled with um, rivalry week, so. Um, there's a, there's definitely a lot to cover, especially with conference championship conference championships coming up in about a, a week's time. So um, we're going to be busy this week, you know, throwing together some stuff so you guys are prepared going into you know championship weekend. But um, you know, let's what was you know what can you kind of take away from this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to start with with the big one, you know, the game. Yeah, and I think the one thing that I wanted to see from Michigan that I finally saw is, is they can win, you know, in, in multiple different ways. Yeah. You know, I always thought that it was, you know, hand it to Blake Corum, hand it to Donovan Edwards and, and kind of pray, but you know, JJ McCarthy, he made plays, you know, especially when, when this Michigan offense needed them yeah. and made them through the air. So, you know, they, they posed as a real, as a real kind of deep threat potential, you know, they hit, they hit Ohio state on some plays of, of, you know, big, big chunks, which was, I just didn't think that they had it in them. So, you know, that's interesting. And I think it gives Michigan's offense a new dynamic if they're able to, you know, do that in, you know, these playoff games that they're yeah. playing. Yeah. Um, JJ McCarthy, you know, huge game for him. Kind of shut us up. You know, we, we were re- very critical of, you know, how he's been performing it this year. And, you know, he must have listened in, was very offended with what we had to say because he definitely showed up this weekend. You know, that was kind of the key factor for them to, you know, turn things around and get that win against Ohio State. Yeah. And, you know, besides that, I think the one, one big thing I took from Michigan is, is their defense is elite. Yeah. You know, they're, I, we talk about how great this Georgia defense is, but, you know, Michigan's got, they got a, you know, squad over there. Yeah. You know, those dudes, they play really hard and, and they, they put, you know, they're probably the heart and soul of, the, of that team, mm-hmm. you know, in Columbus, you know, especially when it got difficult you know, for their offense, you know, the defense really stepped up to the plate. So that was really impressive for me. Yeah. And, you know, Michigan definitely opened my eyes this weekend. Yeah, they really did. And, uh, you know, made some noise in uh, the college football playoff discussion. Obviously, we thought that if they were to lose that game, that they would most likely be out. But, um, you know, they shocked us. They shocked the rest of the country. We we're able to, you know, pull it off. And now they're sitting at what I'm thinking is probably still going to be the number two, or I guess they would move up to the number two spot sitting at three, you can make the argument that maybe they should jump to one. But, um, you know, I, th- I think Georgia will stay at one just because Georgia's non-conference schedule was a little bit more difficult compared to Michigan's. Yeah, I think Georgia will stay at one too, but I'm hearing I'm hearing the, the situations for why they should be one. Yeah. You know, uh, Georgia was three when they beat the number one team in the nation at home, you know, by 14. They dominated most of the game. And really shut down a Tennessee offense. Well, number three went to number two and they dominated them on the road. Yeah. Like that game was, it was close for probably the first half. And then after that, yeah, it, it really was, wasn't close. It wasn't. So, and this is without Blake Corum basically yeah, out there, star running back. And I think he had four carries or something. Yeah. If that. So I actually do think Michigan has a case to, to argue that they should be the number one team in the nation. 100%. So yeah, I, I know I the non con hasn't been there, but in the one game that they needed to show up and play football to the, their highest ability, they did. They did, and yeah. They dominated for for most of that 
you know, second half and, and really kind of open the eyes of a lot of yeah. people. So, I mean, obviously that game being their marquee win of the year so far, um, they have the, they also had the win against Penn state, which was a big one, you know, now that Penn state, Penn state is kind of creeping up in the rankings. We'll probably see them in the top 10 this week or have they been in the top 10? Were they in the top 10 last week? Same I know there. that they were, yeah, they're, 11. they were at 11. So I, I, I expect to see them in the top 10, you know, after the LSU loss, but, um, yeah, they got, they got Purdue coming up this weekend to kind of seal things up for them to, uh, to make it to the playoffs. So I was very impressed with Michigan and I, th I think they could, you know, make some noise in the playoff this year. We could see them in a national championship after they didn't make it last year because, um, they were eliminated in that first round. But, um, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, another big game that we were talking about earlier this week on Wednesday. But, um, you know, Oregon State able to pull off the, uh, the upset victory against those Ducks, essentially eliminating Oregon from the Pac-12 championship. And, um, you know, Utah got in after a three-way tiebreaker for, um, for, for that second spot of the Pac-12 championship. So... Huge game, you know, Oregon State. And I know that there was a stat about, you know, how they played on the last, what it was, I think it was 18 minutes or something like that. Didn't throw the ball once and was able to score 28 un unanswered, unanswered points to be able to get the win against the Ducks. But um, yeah, yeah. What were your thoughts? Oregon State is really a quarterback away from being a dangerous football team. Yeah, that is like, true. It, they are so unbelievably solid at 21 positions but yeah. the 22nd position <laughs> is just not there yeah so yeah it, it, crazy though you know when they got down 31 to 10 you know i thought it was it you know yeah a team that loves to run the ball they, they're really dependent on running the ball you really i didn't think they could come back from from 21 down having to run the ball and that's exactly what they did you know they forced this you know oregon team into some big mistakes um even made some crucial fourth down stops and yeah just an absolute, you know, bonkers win yeah. for, for Oregon State and, what did, and Riser. Yeah. What did you think about some of those calls to, um, you know, go for it on fourth down on their own 30 yard line when I think you're up a possession? Well, he did it against Washington too. Yeah. And it didn't work. And I just, I don't know. It's, it's one of those situations where if it works, you're looked at as a genius. Yeah. If it doesn't, exactly. people are like, you know, what is he doing? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's in that situation, you're up three. Their offense really hasn't moved besides running the ball. I would punt it. Yeah. Because all you got to do is stop their run and make their quarterback throw. There's a good chance you're going to be successful. Right. Yeah. So I would have leaned on the defense there probably. And it's, it's easy saying that knowing the result. So I, I definitely want to get that out there, but you know, I would, I would have punted it and, you know, force your defense to make a stop, you know, run, stop in that run game. Yeah. And then I, I think they would have, you know, ended up pulling it out. Yeah. I think that's something that Oregon has done all year is, you know, they've relied on Bo Nix to be able to make those plays. Yep. And uh, obviously with his ankle injuries, not at a hundred percent, it's not the Bo Nix that we've seen where he's dual threat. You know, he, he can scramble, you know, make plays with his legs. You know, he wasn't, he was very limited in uh, his mobility during that game, same as the Utah game last week. But yeah, I, I agree. I think you punt it there. If Bo Nix is healthy, I think that, you know, that run option is a fine play. But, um, you know, with, with um, Bo's lack of mobility in that situation, I would like to see a punt there. 
but like you were saying, you know, it's it's easy to to say that knowing the outcome. But uh, yeah, it it was just it was too many failed attempts, and you know, a lot of a lot of Oregon fans are probably you know scratching their head or kicking kicking themselves for that one. But you know, that that was the game that pretty much decided the Pac-12. Well, I mean, the Apple the Apple Cup is that what it is? Yeah, the rivalry between Washington and Washington State. If uh, Wazoo was able to pull that off, then Oregon still would have made an appearance um, because then it would have just came down to the the two-way tiebreaker between Utah and Oregon. And uh, Oregon would have won that because of the result of last week's game. But, um, you know, the three-way, tiker, th- three-way tiebreaker uh, lets Utah, you know, backdoor into the Pac-12 championship. So that'll be interesting, you know, to see this weekend on Friday. But um, Notre Dame, USC... Caleb Williams, uh, you know, this might have been his his Heisman his Heisman moment. You know, be able to put up some pretty good numbers against uh, you know a Notre Dame team that's been on the rise these past few weeks. They've been rolling, and uh, were able to you know get that upset win against Clemson a couple weeks ago. And uh, you know USC they they came out and performed. Were able to get it done, and basically you know will we see them in the top four? on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you kind of have to put them in now, you know, it's, I thought they should have probably, you know, at least been five, five last going week. into the week, but then, yeah. you know, now with LSU losing Ohio state losing, I think they got to be at four. And, you know, I think talking about Caleb Williams, I think he's solidified, you know, the Heisman. You know, you I really so? do. I think, I think that trophy is his to lose now. So you think you solidified it regardless of, you know, how things play out on Friday. I think it's going to have an impact, but I think CJ not playing is, yeah. I don't think, you know, he benefits from, from not playing. Yeah. So I, I think it was between, yeah, I think Blake Corum also had, you know, an opportunity, but him not playing in the, yeah. in the game, unfortunately the way it is, you know, that, that kind of hurt him. So I, I think Caleb Williams really, you know, took a one hand and put it on, on the Heisman trophy. Exactly. This weekend. Yeah. He took advantage of, you know, how, the game played out because you know we talked about it on wednesday we were like whoever outperforms who who the other person you know in that ohio state michigan rivalry is probably going to win the heisman well uh, cj stroud didn't play that great and blake corum didn't play and then you know you got caleb williams kind of lurking at that third spot and he had a monster game able to get the win against um notre dame so i think that if caleb williams he if he can get it done against Fred, on Friday against Utah, then uh, you know I th- I think he's a lock for the Heisman. But I think if they lose and they don't get in the playoff and TCU wins, then I think Max Duggan will get it. In my opinion, yeah, uh, I think I would I would love I would love for that to be true. I yeah. really would. But there's just something about you know big brand bias, and I know we talked. I know about I this. hate it. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit before the pod, but. I think if Caleb Williams goes out against a Utah team, you know, throws for, you know, 350, 400 yards and like five touchdowns and they uh, lose, I think it's, and they lose, I think it's done. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's his, which really sucks. Cause I think Max Duggan has had a, has had a really good year, but you know, it's like, are you going to go with the guy from LA big brand USC? Or are you going to go for, you know, the guy from Texas Christensen university, you know? Oh, yeah. He's, he's not going to be the big brand if, if uh, they lose to Utah though, I feel like. Yeah, because TCU will be in the playoff. Well, if they win, of course. That is true. So I think you know T 
TCU, they were picked to be, I think, seventh in the Big 12 going into the season. And if you can just run the table and win the Big 12 championship, you know, I, I feel like that is bigger than not making, not even making the Rose Bowl. Because USC, they would probably be in the Alamo Bowl at that point if they lose. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just unfortunate because I think, I think the Heisman is a popularity contest. And, yeah. You know, it's going to be, you know, who is, you know, who's got the stats, who's got the moment and who's got the popularity. Yeah. And I think, I think Caleb Williams just has it right now. And, you know, I, I just, unless he has a really poor performance on Friday, I just think it's his, you know, yeah. I think it's his to win. You know, I, we talked about it last week, how we didn't see a Heisman front runner, but I think after, you know, CJ's kind of disappointing game and, and Blake Corum not really playing, I think, you know, that's kind of what sealed it, Yeah, you know, for, uh, for Caleb, I'd love to be proved, proven wrong, but you know, it's just, it's too tough for me in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that is tough. And you could also make the case that, you know, it's kind of similar situations for, you know, who should be coach of the year when we're talking about, you know, should it be Lincoln Riley or should it be a TCU coach? Sonny Dykes. Yeah, yeah. Sonny Dykes. That's right. Um, You know, same type of deal. Lincoln Riley, big name, LA coming from Oklahoma. You kind of been the story all year, turned around a program that only had four wins last year. Are we going to go with, you know, not his big name, TCU, Sonny Dykes, who, I mean, could potentially run the table and make the playoff this year you know it's it, it'll be interesting to see because you know will we get some contrast there between you know a player from one team and then a coach from a different team or would it be both you know from top to bottom but you know a, lo a lot to look out for there when we talk about rewards for the end of the season but you know conference championship games have been decided acc north carolina clemson we we already knew about that one um i'm excited to see well, I'm interested to see where North Carolina is going to be ranked for that game and where Clemson is going to be ranked, you know? Will Clemson fall out of that top 10? Probably not. I, I think that they will be probably at that 10th spot with, uh, you know, the second loss at home this weekend to uh, South Carolina. And, you know, North Carolina, they lost to NC State in that rivalry as well. So, you know, will they stay ranked? Uh, we might see them in the maybe the high 20s. But... um you know, we, we've, we've knew, we've known this matchup for weeks, but you know, it's, it's kind of been, it's kind of become, you know, less important just because of the outcomes of these past few weeks. Don't you agree? Yeah. Well, Clemson no longer having an opportunity to play off really, that was kind of really the only thing that's sparking, yeah. you know, yeah. this matchup is maybe if they dominate, you know, North Carolina, then, you know, maybe Clemson has, you know, they have a chance at it, yeah. but yeah, I think, you know, that's gone. North Carolina's was gone after they lost uh, their second game a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So it's just kind of, you know, it's, I should say it is the opportunity to go to the Orange Bowl, I believe. Um, so they're still playing for something. They're still playing yeah, for absolutely. New Year's Six. But other than that, kind of, yeah, nothing really there. Yeah, nothing as, I mean, Orange Bowl's great. But, you know, we, ex you know, with Clemson being one of those premier programs, we expect to see them competing for you know the playoff every single year obviously things will change when we get the 12 team expansion but you know for now they're just fighting for the the orange bowl um sec georgia lsu we knew about this one for a while lsu lost last weekend to texas a&m a downer for them because i mean playoff hopes if they weren't already gone before that they're definitely gone and um you know it'll be, it'll be crazy if lsu 
would be Georgia, but I think Georgia would still get in if they were to lose the SEC championship. Yeah, it definitely opens up a, a scenario for sure. But I think you're right. I think Georgia would still get in, even with a loss to LSU. And I think LSU is really disappointed about losing to Texas A&M because, you know, in theory, if they would have won the SEC championship, they would have had an argument to get in. Yeah. You know, they're sitting at five. They would have beaten a team that is currently in the top four. I think they would have had absolutely a case. So I think LSU. I think more than a case. Yeah, I think the committee sticking them at five was, you know, an indication that they were the next team in. Yeah. You know, when uh, Ohio State and Michigan, if that, if that panned out or the loser of that, they would get in ahead of them if they were to, in, if they were to win the SEC championship, which I mean, is not necessarily something that I agree with. You know, we've never had a two loss team in the playoff, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, them putting them at five last week was definitely an indication that they were the next team up. Definitely. So LSU is going to see that as an opportunity loss, but you know, for Brian Kelly to win the SEC in his first season, that's still a, a heck of an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's something that they'll be motivated for. And, you know, they'll try to pull the upset and, yeah. and ruin Georgia's, you know, perfect season. Is uh, is Jaden Daniels, is he done? Or has he got another year? I feel he like he's is, got like a COVID year or something. Yeah, he's got a COVID year. Because, you know. He, he would be a junior this year, I believe. Yeah. So I think he's still got one more. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, LSU, maybe just a year too early. But um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset with, you know, how things have went, you know, first, first year coach at LSU, but, you know, keep in mind as far as the SEC, you know, Georgia last year, they lost the SEC championship and went on to win the national championship. Yep. So, I mean, keep that in mind. If Georgia loses, I don't think it's the end of the world. You know, they'll, they'll probably drop to three or four is what I'm guessing, you know, depending on how things go with TCU. But, um, you know, last year they lost to Bama in the SEC championship and then got the revenge in the national championship. So, I mean, like I said, if they lose, it's, it's not the end of the world. You know, we talked about the Pac-12, USC, and Utah, that championship and the importance of that, you know, for Utah fans, you have to win this to uh, get into the Rose Bowl. Yep. Because, um, you know, the, the way that they do it, assuming that USC gets in if they win. So, if USC gets in if they if they win then um you know the rose bowl will take the what is it the second team that's highest ranked in the pac-12 yeah it's up to the kind of that rose bowl committee yeah um we really haven't seen i think the only we've only seen this situation once and it was uh 2016 really where then where the loser was not the runner-up yeah it was colorado was in the championship game but they went with oregon for the rose bowl which i mean could be some brand bias, but definitely. So um, I would not call it brand bias this year because I mean, if Utah loses, that'll be their fourth loss of the season compared to Washington, who will you know finish ten and two, and then Oregon, who is nine and three. So I I, I definitely think it'll be Washington. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're Huskies fans, then you're cheering for USC this weekend. But you know, Utah, you it's not like I I know that there are some scenarios thrown out there where it's like you know. Utah's going to make the Rose Bowl either way because they'll be the runner up. But, um, you know, technically the committee will pick and it, it will be the higher ranked team, which will, which will most likely be Washington, which, you know, speaking of Washington, um, they'll make an appearance in the top 10 this week. They will. And um, for our prediction for the top 10 college football playoff rankings, we have them at eight. We do. Right? Because um, ahead of Penn State, and you kind of want to explain why we have them 
or, or should we go top to bottom, you know, explaining our, yeah, our we'll go through, we'll go through our, our predictions real quick and then we'll yeah. kind of explain why. Yeah. So one, we got Georgia, two, Michigan, three, TCU, four, USC, five, Ohio state, six, Tennessee, seven, Alabama, eight, Washington, nine, Penn state and 10 Clemson. I wouldn't say that this is how we predict it will go on Tuesday, but I feel like this is how we think it should be. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think, you know, the, probably the definitely the the one controversial one is that Washington Penn State. Yeah. Um, I just think Washington should get over them because I know their loss is wor- or but even both their losses are worse in theory, but they have those top uh top 25 wins. Yeah. So, you know, they they have the win over Oregon State, they have the win over Oregon. So, I believe that, you know, those two wins, you know, carry a lot for them. And I think they should, should be ranked higher than Penn state, but I, I see the case for Penn state to be ranked higher. They just don't have the ranked win yet. Um, yeah. We think that they might get it with uh, potentially Purdue, maybe jumping in. Yeah. But other than that, they don't have a top 25 win. So I think winning, I think lot losing matters, but I think, you know, who you beat also matters as well. So and yeah, that's, that's where we're going to find out what the committee values on Tuesday. Definitely. You know, quality losses or quality wins. And like you said, you know, Penn State has higher quality losses, but Washington has higher quality wins. So, you know, that eight to nine spot, you know, keep an eye out for that on Tuesday because, you know, that'll kind of give us an indication of, you know, what the committee is, uh, you know, thinking of in these situations. Um, You know, Big Ten, Michigan, Purdue, it uh, could be an unranked Purdue you know, coming out of that West division that we've, we've talked about being weak all year. We've criticized them all year. We thought it was going to be Illinois, Yeah. you know, but, um, what did they lose to Michigan and did they lose again? Yeah. They lost to Michigan and then they lost. Oh, uh, who else got them? Somebody else got yeah, them. It was, in, it was pretty recent, division. but that kind of eliminated from that situation. So, you know, Purdue sneaking in the big 10 championship, probably not going to beat Michigan, you know, based off of um, how they performed last week, how, how Michigan performed last week. But, um, you know, Purdue could be unranked going into the Big Ten championship, which is, you know, another reason why I think more conferences should explore, you know, that one divisional um, format. Because, uh, you know, we, we would truly see the two best teams, you know, in uh, the conference championship. Although, you know, with these tiebreakers, um, you, you can make the case that maybe maybe the Pac-12 isn't getting the two best teams in uh, in the conference championship. Yeah, definitely. I, I know there's been a lot of a lot of talk about about, you know, the division model and, and how it should be. But I think the one thing, even if, you know, your goal is to get the two best teams and maybe you don't, I think it I think the one thing that it does open up is it, it gives more teams opportunities. Like if you look in the Pac-12, there was there was five teams, you know, or at least for majority of that Saturday, there was five teams that were, you know, trying to get into that that championship game to play against USC. Well, I guess maybe four because yeah. USC already booked their spot. And then you know you look at a conference like you know maybe the SEC. About two weeks ago, there was only two teams, you yeah. know, playing for the championship game, and you know it was already locked in a long time ago. So. If you put the same division model on the Pac-12, you know, USC would have had it locked in and Oregon would have had it locked in. So going into rivalry week, that matchup would have already been locked in. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's more exciting having more teams, you know, with the opportunity to play. 
So definitely something that, you know, needs to be explored, you know, in the future. Yeah. But uh, with those bigger conferences, the the tiebreakers get pretty extensive. Yeah. And I would not be, I would not want to be the one writing those up or coming up with those. But yeah, it, it gets pretty crazy. Definitely. And I think there, there probably is better ways to write the tiebreakers. But, you know, I've always been under the assumption that the Pac-12's tiebreaking model has been it they were they were written for 10 teams yeah you know they weren't written for 12 teams so they were kind of you know wrote for the future and they didn't really take into account you know what the pac-12 is going to be you know this year yeah it's kind of more down the line so yeah and uh the pac-12 they get a lot of criticism you know on being a weaker conference but um you know I, i i don't necessarily agree with that just because i think if you know Calling them weak because, you know, everyone loses to each other. I feel like that, I don't, I don't, I just don't agree with that. I think that, you know, that just means that it's very competitive. There's six teams in the Pac-12 that are, that are fighting for a top 20 spot in the rankings. So, you know, I, th- I think that when, when conferences kind of beat up on each other, I don't necessarily think that, you know, it's, that makes them a weak conference. I feel like you can only, you know, determine that based off of, you know, how they play their non-conference games. If uh, you agree with that. Yeah. You know, it's, you would like to see, you know, at least one or two teams, like take care of their conference slate, at least, you know, I think seeing, you know, four teams with two losses maybe kind of raises the question, but I think you're right. You know, I think losing to, you know, other top 25 teams doesn't necessarily make you a bad conference. Like yeah, half your conference is ranked, you know, in the top 20. So I think that's definitely something that that should be taken, you know, note, but um, yeah, I definitely don't think you should be, you know, slandered yeah, for criticizing losing, losing to top 20 teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But um, you know, it's been a crazy weekend, got a ton of other news, you know, transitioning into, you know, kind of the coaching topics, but you know, y- y- you want to give us a breakdown on how things went this weekend with coaches? Yeah. So I think the one that was, I guess one of the two that was the most interesting to me was, was first off Kenny Dillingham going to ASU that was announced like 20 minutes after the Oregon game. Yeah. So someone came out and said, you know, my sources are telling me that, uh, uh, Kenny Dillingham is going to be the next ASU head coach, which, which is the, uh, he was the offensive coordinator for Oregon. Yeah. That's, that's a fishy situation to me. You know, was his full focus on that Oregon state game? Cause the offense seemed to play fine for yeah. the majority of the game. So, you know, that, that, that's an interesting situation to see that, you know, it was announced so quickly after, mm-hmm. you know, that lost Oregon state. So that, that, I think that's a great hire for ASU. Obviously he is an ASU alum, so he has ties back to the state of Arizona. You know, hopefully he can, you know, be successful recruiting down there in Arizona and, you know, getting ASU back on their feet after, you know, they've been down for a couple of years. Yeah. But, um, you know, other than that, Nebraska, they, they got a hire as well. It was a Matt Rule. Matt Rule. He uh, was the Baylor head coach and then took the job at Carolina in the NFL, coming back down to the college ranks. I think this is a home run hire. I really do. Really? You know, Matt Rule had a lot of success at Baylor. And I'd even say he turned him into, you know, a huge threat into what they are today. The Big you 12. Know? I know they had a down year this year, but, you know, last year and the year before, like Baylor was you know, they were one of the teams to beat in the, in the big 12. And I yeah. think a lot of has to go 
to you know the success of of Matt Rule. Yeah. So I think I think it's a great hire for Nebraska. I think he's going to be able to put his staff into place, you know, to be successful. I've never liked college ch- coaches jump into the NFL. I think it's just so different of a jump. Yeah. Um, for a lot of coaches, and we even saw it with Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban went to the NFL and struggled, and then came down back to the the college game and dominated. So, but I think it's a great hire for Nebraska. I think Matt Rule is the guy who's going to hopefully get them, you know, back on track. Yeah, I agree. You know, make the big that Big Ten West a little more competitive. We we haven't seen much from Nebraska these past few years even though, you know, they've, they've always been a pretty good program from, from my understanding. But um, Lane Kiffin, contract extension with Ole Miss, is that confirmed or just rumors for now? I'm pretty sure it's confirmed. It is confirmed. He is going to he is gonna sign a new contract at Ole Miss. And what a story yeah. that's been, you know. Yeah. Auburn basically came out and, well, they didn't come out, but their reporters came out and said that, you know, Lane Kiffin's going to be the next head coach at yeah. Auburn. So. You know him. Him reversing and and staying at Ole Miss is great. You know for Ole Miss. You know they they get their coach who has brought them. I'd say some good success. Mm-hmm. You know last couple of years. Obviously this year ended. You know not how they wanted it to. But you know I think Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin could be a problem in the years to come. Yeah, and I think taking on that Auburn job, I f- I feel like you that adds on a lot of pressure. Definitely I feel like being an Auburn, a, you know a higher program who's had success in the past. I think that, you know, there's a lot of pressure and expectation when you take the job there. And I think at Ole Miss, you know, he kind of just, it's it's a little more lenient. He, uh, you know, kind of gets to roll how he likes to roll. And, you know, I, I think there's less pressure there. And you can kind of, um, you know, just, just coach without any any of that stress or the the pressure. So so I, I like that he stays at Ole Miss, you know, maybe, you know, build a brand around his name. And I, I heard someone on ESPN um, compare this situation to um, Clemson and uh, Dabo Sweeney, you know, how he built a program there. They could kind of see a, a similar situation with uh, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. So I, I like that he's staying there. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who Auburn will hire. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like last I heard it was uh, the candidate they, they were kind of narrowing in on was Hugh Freeze from Liberty. Oh really? So yeah, wow. he has ties to the SEC, but nothing confirmed there. And I'm I'm definitely not going to confirm anything about Auburn until it's yeah. absolutely yeah. confirmed. But <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't go go very well for us. But that's a name that I heard uh, flying around. So we'll have mm-hmm. to see what happens there. Yep. And uh, David Shaw, he steps down from Stanford. You know, he's been he's been there a while. He's kind of been the face of the program for uh, you know over a decade. Over right? a decade. Yeah, yeah, definitely for over a decade. He was getting paid, I think, like six million a year. Mm-hmm. Very handsome. And, uh, yeah, which I think is highest in the pack if you don't include Lincoln Riley in that conversation because of his outrageous contract. But uh, you know, he's getting paid more than I think the Oregon coach and the Utah coach. Yeah. So you know, is this kind of an indication that you know Stanford doesn't really care about their athletics? You know, I think David Shaw. I think he really kind of you know, met his challenge with, you know, the, the introduction of NIL and the introduction of the transfer portal. And, you know, he, he just kind of was stubborn when it come to, you know, his assistants, you know, he, yeah. he stuck true to them. He, you know, even when they weren't performing, he, he stayed with them. And I don't know, I, I know it says that he resigned, but I think, you know, maybe, you know, he kind of felt that the direction of the program wasn't going the way it was. 
and maybe it was kind of like a mutual and agreement yeah. um, kind of deal, but it's going to be interesting to see who Stanford hires. Cause that's not an easy job. You know, that's, yeah. I'd pr probably say it's one of the harder jobs, you know, in the nation because you, you really can't use the transfer portal because you have to, you know, get those kids to enroll in Stanford, yeah. which is, you know, yeah. that's not easy to do. Uh -huh. You know, you got to have the academics as well as the, you know, the football talent. So it's going to be interesting to see who takes that job. And, you know, if Stanford can get back to, you know, where they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. That, I mean, that's in this modern day of college football, you know, it's, it's tough to win without, you know, the convenience to be able to go shopping during the summers. Definitely. Because, um, you know, the only, only way you can use the transfer portal is just send guys off, which I mean, it's not very beneficial when you're not getting really anything in, in a return. But, you know, I feel like the recruiting class is pretty decent every year. Yeah. They it, do they don't do terrible. Yeah. They do really well, you know, recruiting the high school kids because, you know, if I walk into your house and, and say, Hey, I got a Stanford education for you. Full ride. Everybody's going to, yeah. you know, they're going to be yeah, all mom and dad that. are going to be going crazy. Or like, yeah, sign, sign them up, you know? So, yeah. So I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the new coach decides to do. I think obviously the plan is to, you know, hit the, the high school grounds and try to get those kids, you know, fresh out of high school and yeah, maybe figure out a way to, to, you know, manage the transfer portal and, and try to get kids in. But like yeah. I said, it's just, it's way too hard to, yeah. you know, to be a beneficiary of the transfer portal when you have, you know, the high academic standards that, that Stanford has. Yeah. You can get some Harvard transfers. Yeah. That's about get it. Some Harvard and Yale transfers. It's about it. But yeah. other than that, you know, good luck getting, you know, from other higher programs, not going to throw any uh, teams out there, but you know, a couple names that, People were talking about for the the Stanford job, Chris Peterson. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, obviously he hasn't coached during you know the transfer portal era. Yeah, so he'll it'll be brand new to him too. But I mean, Pac twelve ties. Yeah, Pac twelve ties. You he know, knows the West Coast. Knows the West Coast. He's you know coached all over the West Coast. You know, coached yeah. at Boise State, uh, coached at Washington. You know, that'd be an interesting hire. I don't know if he's ready to to come out of retirement, but yeah, it, definitely an interesting name. I mean, you're not ready to come out of retirement until, you know, they, they bring up 6 million a year and then, and then yeah. you're really considering if you want to, you know, not come out of retirement, but you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see if money becomes a factor in there. And, and I think the Washington coach right now has, a uh, has been offered or not offered, but you know, there's, there's been some spark there. Was it DeBoer? Yeah, I know he, yeah. he actually just signed a new contract oh, with did? Washington. Oh, so, so he signed an extension? Yeah, they uh, okay. they re-upped his uh, his contract, and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. He's been, he's been killing it over there. Um, Wisconsin. This will be the last you know coach that we talk about. Wisconsin, they want the Cincinnati coach, Luke Fickle, which is a big deal with uh, you know Cincinnati joining the Big 12 next year. How tough would that be, you know? making your appear your first appearance in a power five conference and uh, you have a first year new head coach. No. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Cincinnati side, but I think more just on, on the Luke fickle, you know, I know last year he had a lot of interest. I know, I know USC was even, you know, kind oh, wow. of, kind of dabbling around the idea of maybe Luke fickle. Um, I know, you know, other programs, I know Oklahoma was also interested mm -hmm. in maybe Luke fickle. So, the fact that he, he decides this year to go to Wisconsin is, is interesting to yeah. me, you know, especially with some of those other programs, you know, no disrespect to Wisconsin, but I think I would, you know, choose USC or Oklahoma, you know, over Wisconsin, but mm -hmm. maybe he's got, you know, 
family ties or local ties to the program that made it so interesting to them. But yeah, for Cincinnati, losing your coach and heading into a power five conference next season, it's going to be tough. You know, you're going to have to hit, you're going to have to hit this higher out of the park. Like you cannot miss on this, on this coach. Cause if you enter the power five, it's already going to be a step up. It was already going to be a challenge for Luke fickle. Mm -hmm. But if you step into a power five program and you know, you go, you know, two win season, three win season. Yeah. That's not exactly gonna, you know, sway the recruits your way. Yeah. So we could be talking about, you know, Cincinnati struggling for, you know, maybe, maybe even like five years, you know, five to seven years before they finally get the right coach who can, you know, bring in the right talent to, you know, get Cincinnati back to the playoff. But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the trajectory trajectory of, uh, of Cincinnati because it doesn't look good for me. Yeah. It doesn't look good at all. And I, is BYU joined next year as well? Yes. Yeah, I believe they do. BYU is okay, so BYU, Cincinnati, they're the two that join. Yeah, maybe even UCF, UCF. and... Oh, no way. I'm going to forget the last one. Houston. Houston? I think they also... They got a 14 team expansion? I don't know it's four. Yeah, so they're, they're losing two, but gaining four. That's right. So, so essentially gaining two, that's that's quick mental math. Like, I'm capable yeah. <laughs> of doing that, but... um. You know, this is kind of just a little bit of speculation that um, nothing confirmed, nothing. It's just rumors. But, you know, Deion Sanders being interested at the job at Colorado. Yeah. You know, the two programs that his name has been linked to was obviously uh, Colorado and then USF as well, who's coming off a a 1-11 season. So I guess both both programs are, you know, 1-11. So definitely projects for both, but... As a Pac-12 guy, I I would love to see Deion Sanders in the Pac-12 at Colorado. Yeah, you know I think he could easily, I think he could easily turn around Colorado in in a two years. Yeah, like that quick. With the recruiting, you know, I think you know if if he got hired, his first his first season, I think he could you know turn him into like a four or five win team, and then in year two, I think he could easily turn him into maybe like an eight nine, maybe even ten win team. Yeah, you know I think. I think people love to play for Deion Sanders because of who he is. And, you know, I'm not saying the step up from, you know, the FCS level to the power five is, is a walk in the park, but I think, you know, he's already proven that he can sway, you know, what was it? The number two recruit in the nation. Yeah. You know, to go to the, Jackson state. Yeah. Jackson state. So if he can do that at Jackson state, you know, his pull at Colorado with better facilities, you know, a better fan base, a loyal fan base too, I should yeah. say. Um, I think it would be, it'd be a no brainer. Yeah. And, uh, very interesting, you know. Yeah, he could definitely turn around a program who they got one win this year still. Yeah, I think yeah, both so of they them finished. Were, yeah, they finished the year with. They both did it. USF and Colorado. Yeah. Oh wow. So yeah, so I mean, <laughs> wouldn't be a walk in the park, you know, the transition from FCS to FBS, but you know, with with the recruits and uh, new resources, you know, anything's possible to Deion Sanders. But um, you know, we got we recapped the games of the week. We talked about conference championship top 10 college football playoff rankings our prediction for that you know the coaches new news um anything else you wanted to cover no i think i think we got a big week ahead of us yeah though, we do know? we have a lot of work to you know get a lot of things prepared to make sure that you guys are prepared you know going into conference championship week because we'll be previewing five games yeah we'll preview all five power five conference games you know maybe if we got time we'll even talk about you know some of the other ones but yeah um i think we should yeah, definitely. I, I know Tulane's got a good matchup. I believe it's UCF. UCF, right? Yeah. yeah. So that'll be a good one to maybe recap. But 
or preview. Preview, yeah. So yeah, we got a lot, we got a lot coming this week. So stay tuned to to the YouTube and especially all the other socials. Yeah, absolutely. As well. We're gonna prep different scenarios. You know, we'll um we'll try to get almost every scenario prepared for you know college football playoff because yeah. I think there's only really two games that could uh, sway the the um the outcome of those four teams, and that would be the Pac-12 on Friday, and then uh, the Big 12 on Saturday. Yep. So. We got a lot coming for you guys starting on a Wednesday, but we appreciate you guys tuning in. Recap Rivalry Week. You know, check us out on YouTube. If you're only hearing our voices right now, we have a channel where, uh, you know, we record things. We throw up some graphics, stuff like that. But, um, you know, with that being said, we'll see you guys on Wednesday.